Well, good evening, friends. If you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 18. <coughs> Excuse me. First, First Kings chapter 18. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you thanks for this evening and all that you have planned, all the work that you've done so far by your Holy Spirit, the work you'll continue to do by your Holy Spirit, and teach us as only you can. Convict us, encourage whatever's necessary to draw us closer to you, whether we know you or not. God, if we don't, draw us into saving knowledge. And if we do, draw us even closer to be more intimate with you. God, bless this time for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. So you have to picture the scene that now there's this competition. Elijah comes up with this idea. He says, okay, well, how about this? We just set up two altars. And I'll set up my altar for, for Yahweh, the true God. And you set up your altar for your God. And then whichever one answers with fire, that's the true God. And make sure that when, you, when we do this, that you have all the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah that are there crying out. Make sure they're all there. And then they'll just be me against all of you. I mean, let's make it really all in your favor. And then why, why ask for fire to fall? Well, again, so if Baal controls the weather, it's also thought that Baal's the one who created lightning. And so this is something that Baal should be able to do. I mean, this is, this is one of those easy ones. He's just kind of throwing it out there saying, hey, we'll, we'll go into your turf. Whichever one answers by fire, that's the true God. And they say, oh, Absolutely. So all of a sudden, the prophets start to cry out and to scream and to pray, and they're going on for hours. And Elijah actually starts to trash talk him a little bit. I mean, when you, when you look at verse 27, and at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he, this is the best part, or he is relieving himself. Isn't that kind of weird to say that to a group of people who worship this God? It's like, guys, maybe he's sleeping, or maybe he's taking a poo. I mean, it's like, guys, you got to scream louder because the poo time is important for Baal. So you got to scream louder. So maybe he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awake. And just, he just starts screaming this out. And then all of a sudden, right after he does this, it says that all the prophets who are praying, they take swords and spears and begin to slash their bodies, and blood is flowing from their body. At what point do you think that maybe you took the trash talk a little too far? It's like, oh, man, you just cut open your chest. But that's how we get his attention. Oh, okay, so maybe Elijah just picked up some popcorn. He's like, this is a sick time. I love this. Hey, go louder. More scrapes, more scratches. Keep going. And for hours upon hours upon hours, they just keep screaming out to nothing. Can you imagine the defeat? They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And nothing happened. And can I ask you a question that, Maybe it's a little up front, but is that how some of you feel when you pray? You're trying to convince God to do something, and so you go through all these motions, and you're going for hours, and, and you're just trying to convince him, and so you're jumping through all the hoops, the religious hoops, the Christian hoops, whatever it takes. Or maybe there's some of you, it's not about Jesus, it's about something else, something else that you're worshiping. It's like, I don't worship anything, I don't believe in a God. But do you ever, have you ever gone to a concert and watched people at the concert as the band starts to sing, this is their band, and as they're singing, what do they do with their hands? 
And that worship, they've just taken a creature rather than the creator of the creature. And so don't tell me that you don't worship something. What do you give your devotion to? But that thing, no matter how long you keep crying out to it, cannot change circumstances. But do you feel like that sometimes? So after some time, you get down to verse 36. And at the time of the offering, the oblation of Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I'm your servant, and that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. I timed myself once reading this. It was like 13 seconds. But did you notice his prayer? Let it be known today that, one, you are God in Israel. Number two, that I'm your servant. And number three, that I have done all these things at your word. So guys, we have to remember this. Anything that Elijah did was because God told him to do it. To pray that there'd be no rain for three and a half years, God's idea, not Elijah's. For Elijah to lay on the kid, remember the kid that died, he's just like laying on him, God's idea, not his. This whole little competition between the altars burning, not Elijah's idea, God's idea. Elijah says, I want to make sure that you answer this request, not for any other purpose, but one, that they would know that you're God. Number two, that I'm your servant. I'm not the one who tells people what to do. I'm not in charge. I follow you. And number three, that I've done everything according to what you've said, not according to my own ideas. So God, I pray that you would answer this. And 13 seconds into the prayer, then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Guys, that's some pretty sick fire. Because when he set up his, it's like they're all praying and he gets to his. He's like, okay, mine's ready. Hey, go get some water and pour it on it. They're sitting there going, um, we didn't learn that in Boy Scouts. Like, you don't want to make it wet because you want it to catch on. Just do it. So they do it once. He's like, do it again. <laughs> wait, wait. Just do it again. Do it again. Does it a third time. Water's around this trench, around this altar. Can you imagine him sitting there going, are you kidding me? This is never going to work. Why would he say this? Because he wanted to make sure there was no way that they could say, you just tricked us. See, make it impossible because why? Impossible is God's playground. When you just sit there and go, there's no way this is going to happen. There's no way. When you think of that person that doesn't know Christ, you're sitting there going, there's no way that they're going to surrender to Jesus. It's impossible. And God's like, welcome to my playground. Impossible to God. He doesn't know what impossible is. And here's the thing. If you ever say this to God, God, I will never, I will never do this. Oh my gosh, that's his hobby. God, I will never speak in front of a group of people. And that's what I do. God, I will never win the lottery. And every time he says, you're right. (laughs) This fire falls from heaven. Everyone's watching. The prophets, these false prophets are watching this happen. Burns up the whole altar and licks up the water. I mean, I don't even know what that looks like. (laughs) It just takes off. It's just boom. 
Answer, O Lord, that they might know that you are God, that I'm your servant. And all this, I've just done it because you said. And what was the response of the people? You go down to verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And friends, that's our desire. Now, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, our desire is that we would be able to tell the world who Jesus is, and then all of a sudden, as we continue to tell people about him, and then God does what he does, because only God can do what he does. As he does those things, all of a sudden, we see a broken world. We see person after person after person going, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Guys, it's the gospel. And when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. He meant it. He didn't say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. You can pick or choose whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. All roads end in the same place. Guys, if it were true, if that were true, the cross isn't necessary. There's no need for it. If it doesn't really matter what you hold to, if you just kind of pick and choose or if you do this, well, Brian, I'm a good person. So can I ask you, when you sit there and go, I'm a good person, who are you grading yourself against? Because it's usually Hitler. <laughs> Isn't that what it is? It's like we have this scale. It's like if I go over here, who's the, one of the most amazing people, so giving, loving, serving? Mother Teresa's over here, and then there's Hitler. And we're like, I know Hitler. I mean, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I know Hitler. As if God goes, well, okay, that's all I need. So long as you're not another Hitler, because that, that guy was jacked up. I mean, so, so long as you're not here. And we think so long as we fit inside of here. But here's the thing. The most noble, the most quote-unquote perfect person, the, I mean, good, serving, loving person, we would put right here, and God goes, oh, that's cute. But my standard goes to eternity. Forever in that direction. It's impossible to get to God by our own works. And God knew it, so God accomplished the impossible. See, while Jesus is in the garden praying, the night before he's betrayed, or the night he is betrayed, by one of his own, in the garden he prays something like this, Papa, Take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Why would he word it that way? Because in the Old Testament, the cup represents wrath of God. And so when he looks at the Father, he says, Papa, Papa, take your wrath from me, but not my will, your will be done. Because there's this prayer. In John chapter 17, there is this long extended prayer of what Jesus prayed for. And do you realize that we made the cut? I mean, a couple thousand years ago, God, God is listening to his son. The father is listening to the son of God pray this prayer. Do you know what it was? It's the only time I find in the gospels where Jesus tells the father, this is what I want. Every other time, it's like, I only say the things I hear the father saying. I only do what I see the father doing. It's always, well, I'm submitting to the will of father. And he's showing us, this is how you live a life. But he says, this is what I want. You know what it is? He says this, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. Us. 
A couple thousand years ago, Jesus is saying, I want them. I want them. He doesn't need us. God doesn't need us to exist. But he wants us. I think I brought it last night or the night before. Just let it sink in. Before God said, let there be light, he said, let them be mine. He chose you before the foundation of the world. So Jesus just says, I want them to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. And yet the father never responds. In fact, an angel shows up. Luke tells us that an angel shows up to encourage him. It's like the father's not speaking. An angel comes to encourage him. And at some point, as Jesus keeps praying this out loud and three of his disciples are close by, he comes back and finds them. Seems, could you stay awake? I asked you, stay awake. This is a tough time. This is the most horrific time I'm ever going to go through. Can you just stay awake and pray? He says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. You been there? And if you have, doesn't it do something in you to know that God understands? Because he's been there. And he goes away and he prays, comes back, they're sleeping. Goes away, comes back, wakes them up. Guys, my betrayer's at hand. He sees Judas coming with this, this horde of guards from the temple. Carrying clubs and swords and torches. And they're coming toward Jesus. And Jesus just says this, get up, my betrayer's at hand. Then the scriptures say that Jesus walked straight toward them. You know what that shows? At what point do you think the Judas just sat there and went, oh, crud. Oh, he's not running away. He's coming right for me. It says that Judas, he says, greetings. Greetings, Rabbi. And that greetings could just be a hello. Or that word greetings, it could kind of be this mocking of what you would say to a king, like long live the king. Can you imagine Judas betraying him, hopefully that he's going to die, and saying, long live the king. Oh, probably not. I mean, Judas got evil. And what does Jesus call him? Friend, do what you must do. The, temp the temple guards, they grab onto Jesus, they arrest him, and then all of a sudden, one of the disciples, good old Peter, saving the day pulls out this sword from his cloak and cuts off a dude's ear. The dude's name is Malchus. He's a servant of the high priest. His ear. Like, what the crud were you going for? <laughs> Seriously. Is it just like he goes, okay, ah! <laughs> and what's Jesus say? He's like, Peter, put it away. <laughs> oh, my friend, that is embarrassing. There's a reason you're a fisherman, because you suck at that. <laughs> serious. Like, unless it's, it's like he's sexy, he's like a three musketeer. He's like, ta, 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 ta. And I shall take off the other. I mean, it's like, what are you doing? But Jesus says, stop. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Then Jesus goes and picks up the ear. Just because... Now that you, isn't, that, isn't it weird? It's just weird. Like, this doesn't freak me out. I'm like, like, oh my gosh, I'm touching my ears. But once it's off someone's body, what the heck? <laughs> isn't that weird? It's like, that shouldn't be there. It should be on your head. Jesus picks it up. Heals the guy in front of everyone. Puts it back on his head. I'll be honest. I would have put it on backwards. 
back like this. It looks better that way. You can hear people talk behind you. It's fantastic. I would have done it just because I've been ticked. I've been angry. But Jesus heals him. And you would sit there and go, some of you sit there going, so long, I just need, if I see God do one of those huge miracles, I'd believe. They saw it, and they still arrest him. So you can't jump to that as the automatic. And they arrest him, and they lead him away, and where all the disciples go, they bolt. Just like he said they would. Even though Peter's the one who said, well, no, I'm not going to leave. No, Peter, you're going you're gonna to desert me just like this. No, no, no. He even says this. Even if all of them leave, even if, all these, even if all these slackers leave, no, I'm your boy. I got your back. And then he goes, Peter, you're going to be the worst. They're going to desert me. You'll deny even knowing me three times before the rooster crows twice. Mm, not going to happen. I would think that after some years with Jesus, he would understand, Peter would understand that maybe Jesus is right 100% of the time. And it's really kind of futile to try to argue with God. (laughs) He's all in. And a lot of times I would look down, I used to look down at Peter going, slacker. Until I realized that I'm a lot like him. And I look at him and I believe that he really felt that. I think he had this true love and devotion to Jesus. And when Jesus is taken away, everyone takes off. And then Jesus is in the temple courts and all this junk's happening and Peter's in the distance. But at least where he can see him, he makes his way in. So you got to give Peter some credit. He didn't just bolt and stay away far. He kind of goes to where Jesus is. He's in the temple courts. Like he goes into the quote-unquote enemy's territory. And he's just sitting there. All of a sudden, this little servant girl goes, you were with him. No, I don't know him. No, 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 you were, because I, I can tell by your accent. You have that accent. I don't know what that accent is. Like Hickville, I don't know what it is. He's like, I hear the accent. No, no, I don't know him. Then he goes and warms himself with the fire, and the people around there goes, no, you were with him. We saw you. And he says, he calls down curses from heaven. It's like, pardon the French, may God damn me. I don't know the man. The rooster crows. It says that Jesus looked into the eyes of Peter. See, I don't think Jesus stopped at the eyes. I think Jesus looked into the soul of Peter. Didn't say a word. He didn't have to. But I don't think that Jesus looked at him with judgment. I think that Jesus looked at him with pain. He's like, Peter, I know you love me. I know you do. But right now, this will be the hardest thing you've ever gone through. It says that Peter ran away and he wept bitterly. And Jesus goes through this illegal trial and all these false witnesses and all this junk. And all of a sudden, something, Jesus says something that just ticks the high priest off. They go, we've heard enough. He's blaspheming. Let's get rid of him. Let's kill him. Take him to Pilate. Pilate says, I want nothing to do with him. Sends him to Herod. Herod's like, do, it, do some tricks. Jesus isn't even saying anything. He's like, get him out of here. Send him back to Pilate. I have nothing to do with this. So he's standing before Pilate who can free him. And Jesus isn't saying anything. And Pilate says, do you not understand that I have the authority, I have the power to release you? And then Jesus speaks up. He goes, oh, Pilate. Oh, man. This is paraphrased. Pilate, you're JV and this is varsity. You got no play here. This is so outside of your realm 
Do you not understand that I have so much authority? That this is a thing about the kingdom of God that if I cried out right now, myriads upon myriads would come. Angels would come and, and protect me and save me. Oh, Pilate, this is out of your hands. See, this wasn't plan B, friends. This was always plan A. This wasn't like something didn't work when God created, so you had to come up with another plan. God has no plan B. It's always been plan A. So Pilate's listening, and he's looking at the religious leaders, and now there's this kind of mob showing up, and, and Pilate says, okay, I'll have them flogged, as if that's merciful. So here's what flogging was. So they send Jesus away. They strip him of his clothes so he's naked. They take his arms, and they connect it to this vertical beam. And then they have, they have two Roman guards, one on each side. They each hold something called the cat of nine tails. It's a shorter whip. There's a handle about yay long. And then coming from that handle are, are leather strips. And tied at the end of those strips are pieces of, of glass and bone and sharp rock. And it becomes a claw. And these guys were trained. It wasn't like they just picked kind of random soldiers. They picked the best. And from his neck to his calves... 39 times. Why 39? Because too many people died at 40. That one on one side would take the cat of nine tails and slam it into Jesus' back, then change the angle so when he pulled it back, it just ripped open his back. Guys, there's historical accounts where a Roman guard could go around the front of an individual from behind and pull and disembowel the individual. This wasn't just a cute little whipping, this was torture at worst. 39 times. You see, in the garden before this, Jesus is praying. And when he's praying, Luke is the only one that, that records it. Why would Luke be the only gospel writer to record this? Because he's the doctor. And Jesus begins to sweat drops of blood. Literally, there's blood coming from his sweat pores. And you sit there and go, well, that's poetic license. He's just trying to say how much anxiety Jesus is experiencing. No, do you realize that there's a medical condition that happens when you are terrified of something or you are so worried or there's so much anxiety going through you that the capillaries in your forehead will burst and you will sweat drops of blood. And you sit there and go, okay, what is he terrified about? It's got to be the flogging. And yet, I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's the main reason. I think the worst is still coming. After he's flogged, then the Roman guards, ruthless, they take a purple robe and they put it on Jesus and, they, and then they take this crown of thorns and the, the thorns are about an inch in length and they just push it into his, into his scalp and then to make sure it stays there, they take a rod and they just start beating him in the head with it and then they bow before him saying, oh, hail, king of the Jews, hey, king of the Jews. This is God's creation, mocking the creator. Jesus endured it, Why? The writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him. What did he pray in the garden? Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. That's what I want. And so with every lash, he holds on. Why? For us. It's for them. It's for them. As he's beaten in the head, it's for them. It's for them. As he's enduring, it's for them. It's for them. I want them. They bring him back to Pilate. And can you imagine when Pilate looks upon him after being beaten in the face and blindfolded and slapped around with rods and punched in the face? Can you imagine how marred Jesus is? The blood that is just pouring from his body. 
He says, you know, it's during this time, this is Pilate speaking, it's during this time that I release one prisoner. So do you want Jesus or Barabbas? He made it so obvious what they should pick. Barabbas, the insurrectionist. Do you want Jesus or the terrorist? Which one do you want? And he's shocked. As he goes, give us Barabbas. The crowd's Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Then what do we do with him? And the, and the chant starts. Crucify him. Crucify him. Then it gets louder and louder. And I guarantee that Pilate is just shocked. And he signs this edict and he washes his hands in front of the crowd. And he says, his blood is not on my hands but upon you. And they say, not just on us but on our children. They take the purple robe off. They put his clothes back on. He's still wearing a crown of thorns. And they take the crossbeam of the cross. And they would place it over, upon Jesus' shoulders, which then he would embrace. And he'd begin to walk through the crowd. Roman guards in, in front and behind, trying to make a way, pushing people out of the way. Some people are breaking through and they're tearing chunks of his beard out and punching him in the face and slapping him and mocking him. And he just, think about it, as all this is happening, can you imagine this scene in heaven? Because the angels don't get this. They're not, they're not understanding any of this. Can you imagine the angels just looking going, Father, give us the word. Give us the word. And we'll go destroy every one of them. And the Father stays silent. And each step, it's as if Jesus is going, I want them, I want them, I want them. I want the ones who are mocking me. I want the ones who scourged me. I want them, I want them. And he just keeps walking like he's a man on a mission. But at some point, he can't walk any further, and he collapses to the ground, and they grab this guy named Simon, who's from Cyrene, says, hey, carry the cross. No, no, I can't do that. That's disgraceful for me. No, pick up the cross and finish it. So he, he takes the cross from Jesus, the cross beam. And maybe there's this exchange and glance between the creator and the creation. And I wonder if it was something like, I'm doing this for you, Simon. For the joy set before me. I do this for you. And Simon leads the way. Do you realize that Simon of Cyrene would later become a follower of Christ? They would take the cross beam and attach it to the vertical beam, and then they would take Jesus and completely strip him of his clothes. So any of the scabs that might have begun to form between his clothing and his back have now been ripped open again. They would take Jesus and they would throw him down over the cross beam. They would take one arm and completely stretch it out. They would take what's like a railroad spike and drive it through both, be, between the, the, the space between the two bones in his wrist, and they just push it right through. Guys, when you hit your funny bone and that, that pain goes through your arm, that nerve travels all the way down through your wrist. That has been ruptured, so that pain is now shooting through his arm. Then they take the other arm and completely stretch it out as far as they can, and they drive a road spike through that wrist. And all of a sudden, it's like Jesus is just sitting there screaming. But you know what he's saying? I know we look, at the, we look at scripture and it says, well, he said it, and we think that he said it once. But the way that it's worded means that this is something that Jesus kept saying over and over. He's just screaming this out. You know what he's saying? As they're attaching him to the cross, he's saying, Father, Father, Papa, Papa, forgive him. 
Forgive them, they don't know. They don't know, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, oh, they don't know what they're doing. And they would take one foot and place it over the other and push up his feet and drive a spike through both. And he's still screaming out for the forgiveness of those who are crucifying, and he's just screaming out for the forgiveness of who else? Us. Father, I want him, I want him, I want him, I want him, I want him to be with me where I am, to see my glory. Can you just imagine him? Just hang in there, just hang in there, Jesus. And they would hoist the cross up, and at some point, gravity takes over and yanks the cross into the hole, and his body would jerk, his elbows would dislocate, his shoulders would dislocate, and he'd be left there to die. Guys, when people were crucified, they didn't die because they bled to death. They died because they couldn't breathe. This was Rome's way. They didn't come up with the idea of crucifixion, but they definitely perfected it. And why did they do this? The Ro a Roman citizen never, ever got crucified. No matter how bad, no matter what they did, never got crucified. But why would they crucify others? It was like this. If you're walking along, you might pass a person who's on the cross and he's been there for a week. And he's still alive, and it's as if Rome is saying, don't mess with us, or you get that. So you suffocate. So from this hanging position without being up, but hanging down, guys, it's, you can't breathe. See, from this point, you can exhale, but you can't, you can't inhale. No, this, I'm sorry, from this point you can inhale, but you can't exhale. So in order to exhale, Jesus has to pull up on the spikes in his wrist and push up on the one in his feet in order to exhale. And it wasn't long breaths, like he could hold it very long. It'd be, <laughs> and he wouldn't speak very much because you have to be able to exhale to say words. And he would just be left there to die. And like I said, some would last for two weeks. Jesus lasted for six hours. Why? Because he was scourged and brutally tortured before. And the blood is just pouring from his body. But from the cross, and this is what I think he sweat drops of blood over for. From the cross, Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? It's the only time when I see Jesus pray that he doesn't call God Father. This is the only time from the cross where you think that this is where he really needs dad. He says, my God, my God. That it's my conviction that at that moment, Jesus became what's called the propitiation. At that moment, the Son of God became the new target of the full and complete wrath of God for the sin of every person who had lived before, who was alive in the moment, and all of us to follow. That at that moment, Jesus became the, the target of the full wrath of God for every sin of every person that Jesus experienced what it was like to be forsaken by God so that we would never have to. He was forsaken so we could be what? Forgiven. He hangs there for a few more hours. At some point he knows it's over. 
He knows it's almost finished. Can you imagine his heart is just going like crazy, trying to pump any blood through his body to keep him alive? And as he feels that happening, he just all of a sudden, and I know that we look in the passage and it just says, and Jesus said these things. I don't think he said them. I don't think he whispered them. I think this is the climax. This is the moment. This is what it's all about, that at that moment, he used every strength in his being to pull up and to scream, it is finished. He died. But do you know what that literal phrase is? It is finished. You know what it means? It's a banker's term. From the cross, Jesus didn't just say, it is finished. From the cross, Jesus said, paid in full. It's paid in full. No more sacrifices. None of these burnt offerings, it's all pointing to me anyway. You're not saved by works. Why? Paid in full. It's impossible for us to get to God, so God came for us. To accomplish the impossible. And the scene shifts when Jesus screams that out. The scene shifts from the cross to the temple. The gospel, the gospels, they point out that it goes into the temple and there's, there's this, the holy of holy places that's separated from the rest of it by, the, some, some, some scholars say it's this 18 inch thick curtain was torn from top to bottom. See, only the high priest could go in there once a year to offer this sacrifice for the sin of everyone. And it was thought that if he went in, with, in, in into the holy of holy places in a manner that was not worthy of God, that he would die in the presence of God. So this was a big deal. But all of a sudden when Jesus screams, it is finished, that curtain is torn from top to bottom as if the Father goes, you now have access to me because it's been paid in full. Friends, every camp, when they say, hey, we want you to present the gospel, it's this, this. But I remember I used to just leave people there crying like he died. He died for you. He died for you. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. Don't you just feel like crud right now? And I would just leave them there. Why? Because it was this ego thing for me. And I didn't think about the most important part. So I remember this was years ago. I was speaking. I finished the message called Kids to Commit, Come Forth, Want to Know Jesus. And all of a sudden, this kid I'd been praying for the whole week. He's just on my heart. He's like, yeah, this is it. And as, I'm, as I invite them to come up, I'm like, Holy Spirit, get him. Get him like a hound dog. Like, go after him, bingo. Get him. It's like, ah. And all of a sudden, the kid stood up. I went, ah. And he walks forward. I'm like, ah. But it got to be cool. Oh. <laughs> and they had this huge experience up front. Next day he comes up. He goes, Brian, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. First of all, did you see me? I was like, dude, I was so stoked. I saw you go forth. That was amazing. He goes, here's my question. I said, go for it. He goes, what happened next? I'm like, what? You little brat. Why don't you just pay attention? <gasps> I didn't tell him the best part. I became like one of those typical pastors that made you feel guilty for the rest of your life. <laughs> Did you just sin? Jesus died for that. He died for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just left him there. That night I fixed it. And I've never forgotten to finish the story. Yes, Jesus died. 
And three days later, Jesus kicked death in the face and came back from the dead. He said, why is that so important? Because if Jesus couldn't beat death, then we're jacked up. There's no way. Think about it. In the gospel accounts, it says that the, the stone was rolled away. Do you really think that's, that's so that Jesus can get out? Do you think he's just in there going, hey, hey, you're late. Gabriel, get here. Jesus had this glorified body. He could go through walls. The stone wasn't moved so that he could get out. The stone was moved so we could look in and see that he wasn't there. The good news of the gospel, we've all messed up. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How's that good? Brian, how's that good? You go a few chapters later in the book of Romans. For the wage of sin, we've all messed up, so what we've earned is death. But, and how often has God stepped in and done the miraculous with that one word? But, the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You want to be in a relationship with God? You have to surrender to Jesus. You're like, I don't have to do anything. Let me change it. You get to surrender to Jesus. What if I don't want to? I didn't make it up. If it was me that made it up, I'm like, it's okay, we're all good. But here's the truth of it. For those of us that say, Jesus is my Lord, and I've surrendered my life to him. And when you made that decision, when you surrendered your life to Christ, this is what happened. It's this, it's this term. It's, it makes us feel like we're smart. It's called imputed righteousness. You're like, what? Jezuntai, what? Imputed righteousness. So this is how it makes sense in my mind. God's righteousness was imputed to me. So it's like this. I'm wearing a coat of sin. He has a coat of righteousness. We switched coats. And I wear a coat of righteousness because he gave it to me. That's it. And so when God sees me, he sees me as righteous because of what? Jesus. That's it. I can't stand before God and say, but look what I've done. He's like, ah, you're no Hitler. But you're no Jesus. Because Jesus is the standard. But when he looks at me, he goes, Brian, you're holy. You're righteous before me. Because you are in Jesus. I remember it, I was, it was a couple, few years ago, I think it was a summer camp here. I finished the message and people are making decisions. This young man comes up, high school guy. He comes up, Brian, can I talk to you? And he's a little dramatic for me. I don't like the drama, but I'm like, sure, let's, let's talk, let's talk. He goes, oh, Brian. I'm like, that's my name, go for it. <laughs> let's get to it, come on, what are we doing? He's like, Brian, I just, I just don't feel worthy. And I think he thought I was going to tell him he was. I, thought, I think he added his mind. He's like, no, you are. I'm sure your mama has said you are and your daddy has said you are. You are. You're a good kid. <laughs> he goes, Brian, I just don't feel worthy. And I went, you're not. <laughs> he has this look. <gasps> like I misspoke. But I, don't, but I don't feel worth it. You're not. 
what do you mean? I said, you're not worthy. I'm not worthy. We're not worthy of any of this. It's not about being worthy. It's about looking at the cross that declares that, no, I'm not worthy, but God deems us worth it. He says, you're worth it. I looked at him and said, you're not worthy, but God says you're worth it. It's like this relief just went, oh, I get it. God sees me worth it. How do I know? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He endured it. Why? I saw the relief in his face, and I thought, good night, God, that's it. And even if you're sitting there going, Brian, that's too good to be true. Welcome to the gospel. I mean, isn't that the good news? That's the good news that you can't make yourself right with God, and God knew it, so he says, I'll do it. Why? Because that's what dads do. When we break it, they fix it. And, they, and he fixed it amazingly well. I had one of you ask me earlier, and it was a great conversation. He says, why, why, doesn't, why doesn't God just make it like, like a way, a way to make things happy and good? And, and they said he did, the cross. That's the way. So what happens if you don't know Jesus? If you're a follower of Christ, you have him. What's heaven? Who cares? You have him. What about if I don't? Hell. You're like, I knew he'd say that. Frickin' preacher. <laughs> Guys, that's it. I don't agree. Okay. And I'm not saying this as a put down. He's like, I don't agree with you. I think you're wrong. Okay. That's fine. I would, I would take the opinion of the book that's been around for a couple thousand years than the 15-year-old. Like, Brian, that's mean. I don't need any more 15-year-old friends. I want to tell you the truth. For God, the one who measures the universe with the span of his hand, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's it. If you're sitting there going, I don't want it. I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit will continue to hound you. But at some point, as you're saying, I don't want it, I don't want it, God will say, then your will be done. That's not fair. It's what you wanted. He just granted you what you wanted. I don't want God, and hell is the absence of God. And it's horrible. You're just trying to scare, you're just trying to scare me? No. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I was in third grade, Christian little school. Guy gets up there. He's going to preach. All the third grade theologians are sitting there. Actually, kindergarten through six, we had it. We know what we're doing. He goes, guys, I want to tell you a verse. Maybe you haven't heard of it. It's John 3, 16. I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? Again, maybe you haven't heard this. I'm like, are you kidding? We can say it forwards, we can say it backwards, we can say it drinking water, we can say it in Spanish, we can say it in the King James Version and know how to spell all the vows. I mean, we know what we're doing. But how long ago was this? I mean, I was like, what, seven, 
ish. He goes, I want you to remember this. I'll help you remember this verse in five words. It's like God in this verse is saying, I will never leave you. This is almost 30 years ago. Actually, it's over 30 years. It's like 30, well, barely. I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm old. Okay, so it's over 30 years ago. And I still remember it. So can I ask you a question? What else could God do to prove to you that he is absolutely wild and crazy about you than to endure what he did? What else could God do but to invade time and space, to come as a baby, to live a life as a man, to endure the wrath of God and the cross, to beat death in the face, to ascend, and before he does, to give us a mission and a purpose. That has nothing to do with me, but to give us a mission and purpose. Did I break this one too? A mission and a purpose. So that you can live this life that is so sold out where you wake up every morning going, okay, God, what are we doing today? But the best part, you get God. You get him and all the great things that are heaven. That's fantastic. But here's the thing. Like, I don't care about that stuff anymore. I used to be about all the stuff. Wait, there's no more crying? Except, like, if you laugh too hard, that's, that's still there, right? We get to eat, and broccoli's bad, and biscuits and gravy make you yolk. That's how it works. And we don't die. No one ever gets sick. It's going to be perfect. Yeah, that's it. Oh, sweet. But I have someone ask you a question. If all of heaven were true, everything that comes with it, but Jesus wasn't there, would you be sad? And I started thinking through, and I was like, maybe for a little bit, but I'd be okay. Because I got the stuff. Today, it's because of Jesus. It's seriously, it's all about him. Today, Give me one room, two chairs, maybe a desk, maybe a lamp. And Jesus, that's it. The best thing about God is you get him. And you get to call him what? Papa. Daddy. And God always takes care of his own. My desire, I know God's desire is this, that for those of you that don't know him tonight, you would say just like the people after they saw the fire fall from heaven and burn up the altar, that you would say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That you would say, Jesus, you were Lord of my life. I believe you died on a cross, came back from the dead, and I call out to you to save me. So here's how we're going to play. Understand, you are not saved by anything that you do. But I'm going to ask for you to make a public profession. Don't worry, you don't have to sing a song or recite John 3.16 or the main point of the message. You don't have to say a word. At, well, maybe a little bit. But not on your own. And this is the thing we're going to do with our heads up and our eyes open. You're like, what? I used to do heads bowed, eyes shut. And some people do it and it's fine. I just don't understand it anymore. I used to do it that way. Why? Because... I figured if their heads were bowed and their eyes were shut, they'd be more open to making the decision because they wouldn't be embarrassed in front of all the people that supposedly loved them. And so don't embarrass them now. And, and if you don't embarrass them now, then later on when it actually gets it's hard and they have to stand for Jesus and stand in a culture that doesn't like Jesus, well, then hopefully they'll do it. But they probably won't do it here. So let's make it as easy as possible. Make sure that nobody ever sees. And yet here in, in Luke chapter 15, it says that one who is lost comes home. When one who, when one who is lost comes back, all of heaven celebrates. 
And I got hit with that one day. I'm like, so all of heaven is having a party. They're just screaming and yelling. It says that all of heaven, so if God is in heaven and we're on earth, guess who's leading the party? So they're having this massive party up in heaven, and here's God's kids. Why do we get so quiet? Why do we bow our heads? All of heaven celebrates and we get quiet. I remember when I first started out ministry at this camp, guys up front, he does the same thing, and I get it. It's like we've done that forever. He goes, hey, if you want to know Jesus, I bow your heads, close your eyes. And they're like, oh, okay. So we do that. And so I put my head down. Don't do it. Okay, so I'm sitting there, my head's bowed. My, my, my eyes are shut. And the guy's bow your heads, close your eyes. Boom. But how many of you peak? I do. I mean, I'm a junior high pastor. I mean, I actually thought I had some clout. So I started looking around. He goes, don't peek. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, don't send me to hell. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then he starts to count. I see that hand, one, two, three. I see that four, five, six, 12, 13, 20. I'm like, where did you learn to count? I'm just sitting there. Six to 13? You're an imbecile. He just keeps, oh, 27, 106, 375, 2,061. There's like 70 people in the room. Like the whole county's getting saved. I'm like, this is amazing. I used to do it, why? So my ego was stroked. And I got to know, and God got to know, and nobody else got to know. And God convicted, he's like, hey, this isn't your party. I'm throwing it. Let people be part of it. So, understand this. I'm going to ask those of you that say, I don't know Christ, and I want to surrender my life to him tonight for the first time. You don't do it for the first time again. Just think of how that doesn't make sense. Like, just think through it. It's not hard. The first time again is twice you don't do it again for the first time it's one time and then you commit every day you recommit every morning every day when the mercies are new you recommit but if you've never surrendered your life to Christ but you never knew it was like this that gospel is way too good in a second I'm going to ask you to stand and the standing doesn't save you you don't have to stand. Understand that. My ego is no longer involved in this. I'm so thankful for that because I'm free. But man, I love when people do. Why? So why do I ask people to do it? So that you can remember on June 14, 2016 at, at Hume Lake in Ponderosa, I stood up to tell everyone that I'm a follower of Christ. So you can remember that day. That's the whole reason.
go, I want Jesus. 